0: Thank you for joining us for the fifth Sunday in Lent. Please stick around to the end of the podcast for the announcements for this week. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Almighty God, who alone canst order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men. Grant unto thy people that they may love the thing which thou commandest, and desire that which thou dost promise, that so among the sundry and manifold changes of the world our hearts may surely there be fixed, where true joys are to be found, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated for the readings.
1: Our first reading this morning is from Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I am formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Will you please read with me Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Native. Those who sow with tears will reap the songs of joy. Those who go out with weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves.
2: Our second reading is from Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of the sufferings, by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus, the Word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Six days before the Passover. Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure gnar, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor?" He said that it's not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common person who used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it, so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have a poor with you. You do not always have me. The gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This hopeful message comes from the prophet Isaiah. It is contrasted with the grim words that we heard from Jesus in the gospel, where he says, she bought this perfume that she might keep it, For the day of my burial, you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The beginning of this gospel passage tells us that it is six days until the Passover. And what does that tell us about how how much longer Jesus has before his own death? Not much. He's got five days before his own death. It's a discomforting passage. It's one that reminds us that we are coming up on something that is going to be the precipice of a change. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Newness. Newness can be an interesting thing. While we think about newness in terms of hope, newness is not always a comforting thing. How many of us have ever had to adapt to a new technology? It takes time. It feels clumsy. It makes us long for the former things, the things of old. Because they seem simpler, right? They're more familiar. Now granted, now you think back about how much easier it is to hit a button and say, call mom, as opposed to one, six, two, zero. You know, the worst part about that was my home phone number growing up was three, zero, nine, nine. Do you know how long it took to dial zero, nine, nine? No, no. Older things are familiar, they're comfortable, it does not make them better, but yet they are familiar. Newness can make us feel anxious because it is the unknown. As the old saying goes, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. But as I said, newness is not a bad thing either. When Mary anoints Jesus' feet, it is a foreshadowing of his upcoming death, and nothing could seem to be more grim than that message. but We know the end of that story. But as and as is true in life, always, there are cynics like Judas, like Judas who could only see what is immediately in front of him. Why don't you sell that perfume for 300 denarii and give it to the poor? Of course, he wants to steal the money, but that's aside. We know this whole story, and that's a helpful thing to look forward, because we know this is not just an end, but that Jesus' death itself, that is going to happen in five days, is not just an end, but it is a beginning of something else. That perfume is not the only foreshadowing of this. Where does this happen? Whose house is this in? Lazarus' house. And what do we know about Lazarus? Even the story tells us Lazarus, the one whom Jesus raised from the dead. Yet another foreshadowing of things to come, of Jesus' own death that will lead to his own rising again. This scene sets us up for the darkness to come, but the light that will also follow. Do not remember the former things or things. Consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing; now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Our psalm could be one of my favorite psalms—a psalm that is what might be called an exilic psalm, one that is or post-exilic psalm, one that happens right, probably written right after the exile, as the return to the land of Israel. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream? then when our mouths filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And then it says this line, restore our fortunes, O Lord. This ask. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. It's an interesting line. The Negev, this one at first when I read it when I was younger, perplexed me because I knew just enough geography to know that the Negev is sometimes called the empty quarter. It's that part, if you ever look at a map of Israel, it's that pointy part at the bottom. That's the Negev. It's this empty region that's desert, Uh, barren and dry. And it seems like what a strange ass to say to God, restore our fortunes like the watercourses in this dry desert. But of course, what I did not understand was that once a year, This dry desert has watercourses that spring up like flash floods. In fact, it'd probably be a rather dangerous place to be if you were in a dry creek bed and all of a sudden water starts rushing down. The psalm is asking for restoration, not just restoration as a trickle, but restoration coming in as a flood in the fullest sense. Perhaps, instead of thinking about restoration, which is returning to something old, we could even ask for something new in our prayers. The predictability of water courses with the rushing streams is a yearly occurrence. It's cyclical. You can count on it like clockwork. It's bringing life to a dry place. It is a message of hope, and it is part of the cyclical nature of the desert, and yet There's something very chaotic about that. Rushing waters, as I said, could be dangerous, even deadly, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. It is little wonder then, when we think about baptism, that we talk about death to old self, because water can bring both life and death. But even when things are predictable, even when things seem like they happen year after year after year like clockwork, we have to realize too, but they don't. They don't actually happen in the same way. Even in that cyclical nature of the desert, nothing really returns to what it was. Erosion changes the courses of streams. Plants grow up in new places. There is really no such thing as a pure restoration, just a new normal. <clears throat> as I was reading yesterday, I ran across, for some reason I saw several people posting online, an article from last year titled, The Death of the Episcopal Church is Near. That was a rather grim uh, Grim title, a grim headline. The gist of it is that if you start to account for trends across congregations, uh, that it seems like congregations are getting statistically the average age is getting older, average Sunday attendances are getting smaller. But one good thing is that it seems like money is still going up because, of course, people are leaving money in their wills. Um, and the seems like if you look across, not just the Episcopal Church, but many denominations, a lot of concern is that they could run out of people before they run out of money. Which is not really a, it's kind of a grim message to think about on its own. But one thing I might challenge at such an article is, the article does not think about how ministry actually works. And it can't take into consideration local factors. So when you might think about such things such as the United States' population itself is actually, our population growth itself is shrinking, and people are moving into urban areas, rural areas, and there's all kinds of trends that this does not take into consideration. Plus, what exactly is ministry? What do these things mean on the ground? What is regular attendance? And all these things that, of course, it doesn't take into consideration and if I'm being honest I've been hearing these same projections since the 1990s and you know what there's still an Episcopal church here so the church as a whole not just St. John the Divine or even the Episcopal church is going through changes and that's something for certain I was on the way here listening to a Freakonomics podcast where the guest speaker was talking about how Whereas necessity is the mother of invention, um, crises are what causes us to adopt invention, which I thought was interesting, adopt innovation. The church as a whole is going through processes of change, things that look like death, decline, and they're frightening. It is looking into a great unknown, but that does not mean, friends, that does not mean that God is done with us yet. Whenever there is death, there is resurrection. Whenever there is an end, there is something new. As a parish, we are continuing a process of exploring what is our new normal. But more than just what is our new normal, I think we're really asking the question, what is God calling us to now? Where is it that we can look for life where others only see death? Where do we anoint the feet of Jesus and yet look forward to the resurrection? Where is God calling us? There is something new springing forth in God's kingdom, just as those watercourses aside the desert to see where God is bringing you. Thank you for joining the St. John the Divine podcast. If you're interested in worshiping with us, You can visit us at 9 a.m. at our church, which is at 216 East Chandler Boulevard in Burlington, Wisconsin. If you want to learn more about us, you can click the link in the description or visit stjohnthedivine.org. Just remember, we're the one in Burlington, Wisconsin, not the cathedral in New York. Have a great day. Bye.